now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Three o'clock straight up, according to my clock. Uh, welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity. Uh, this is the show which really focuses on reclaiming that which has always been in you and the search for your authentic voice, your authentic self. Very excited to be with you here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and um, just been, you know, busy this summer, and I'm sure that you all have been busy too, and, and here we are at the end of July, and uh, on Monday we'll be right in August. August 1st. So this year is just flying by. And in case you haven't started your Christmas shopping or whatever, it's like you better get on it so you don't fall behind. But uh, just when we think we have enough time to get everything done, uh, not true. We're turning the calendar and it's, it's just speeding up. So anyway, that's something uh, that uh, when I was uh, growing up, you know, the, all the old timers, men and women, all the old timers would share that with me. They'd say, boy, don't be in such a hurry to grow up. Take your time, because when you get older, time just seems to fly by, you know, and I just kind of looked at them weird, like, please, you don't know what you're talking about. Go do something else. Stop bothering me. Leave me alone. Let me just do my thing. I have enough time for that. And before you know it, you blink, and you're much, 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 much older, and you start to realize the wisdom in what those older generations were telling you at the time. So we have to make the most of our time because we realize that not only is it going by quickly, but um, the things that we used to take for granted have not always been the case. So again, even in when it comes to the death of a loved one or saying goodbye to a loved one upon their death, uh, we realize we'd always want more time. And uh, if only we could have done this, or if only we should have done that, and so forth. So, anyway, but, uh, you know, that is the wisdom of the, you know, for the ages, you know, just to listen to those elders who have these incredible stories and lived experiences and what they have to share and just the wisdom. And that's something that uh, I think the youth of today is really missing out on. You know, just uh, listening to those elders, you know, the grandparents or even the great grandparents, and not just ones who, you know, talk about the good old days, but ones who just have a lot of, as I said, lived wisdom because they've been on this earth longer than most of us and they've made their mistakes. They've, they've done their trial and error. They've lived countless joys and celebrations, and they've also lived countless tears and so forth. So uh, that is right in line with our, our topic today. Uh, we're going to be talking about after-death communication, and uh, it's actually the universal, multiple, and spontaneous nature of these after-death communications. And in a little bit, I'll be sharing about exactly what is after-death communication and um, why it's important for us to uh, not only uh, – 
have these experiences ourselves, um, if we are fortunate enough to have them. And, and I'll also be sharing why not everybody has these experiences, but also to listen to these stories and, and ultimately how they help us. You know, there's a psychological, there's an emotional, there's a physical, even a spiritual benefit to after-death communication. You know, it does have an effect on us because it helps us appreciate where we are in the here and now. Okay. Well, um, my name is Dr. James Hauk, and if you would like more information about me or if you want to leave me a bunch of comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website uh, www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. That is all one word. And if you would like to be part of the show, I invite you to call in. It's uh, 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I certainly want to be taking your calls today uh, after the break, of course, about the halfway mark, because uh, I really want to hear from you. And uh, if you've ever been contacted by a loved one after they have passed... Okay, and so if you uh, find that that is true or you've had an after-death communication experience, uh, I invite you to call in, share your story with us, and, um, you know, it's always good to hear from people, and, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, help you uh, to make sense of it and so forth. So anyway, before we get to that, I always uh, make it a point just to share with uh let's say perhaps new listeners, because there's people tuning in new all the time, that, uh, you know, just exactly what is reclaiming authenticity, as well as where did that come from in me? You know, it actually comes from uh, two deep-seated beliefs in in myself. And um, the first one is that I am a firm believer that uh, all of us come into this world already equipped and, and gifted with everything we need in this life in terms of of those skills or those uh, strengths or those character traits or skills or giftedness and unfortunately as long as you know as as we go along in life and maybe due to some unpleasant experiences we may feel like we need to hide those very unique aspects of ourselves you know the special parts of ourselves the best parts of ourselves because we might want to push those down so that other people can see it, but they, they cannot see it. Uh, because perhaps maybe when we were a lot younger, our giftedness started to come out. And for people who were jealous or didn't know what to do with that, uh, you know, you might have been made fun of or ridiculed in some manner or told that there was really nothing special to you anyway. And because that hurt our feelings, we stuffed the very best parts of ourselves down. And we went through life then and in relationships from a place of woundedness, a place of pain, a place of frustration. And that's how we interacted with relationships in our lives. We couldn't, we didn't feel like we we could be ourselves, you know, our authentic selves. Okay. But um, there is so much more to us than what we have become even so far. And this is what reclaiming authenticity is really all about. It's it's having the courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. Who are you deep down inside, at your core? You know, what does your authentic voice sound like? What does your authentic self look like? 
and so forth. And uh, all in all, these broadcasts really focus on the integration of uh, how, you know, having the courage to reclaim that which has always been in you, how that comes out with the integration of spirituality and mental health, health, all within the context of our relationships. The relationships that we have as we're you know, looking at ourselves in the mirror and our reflection is looking back at us, the relationships that we have with others, and even our relationship with God or the divine, the universe. So it is my great pleasure to be with you here today. So as I start off every broadcast with this question, how is your heart today? I hope that wherever you are today, you are safe and you are at peace. Well, as I said before, um, with after-death communication, uh, again, it's this uh, starting off with, you know, have you ever been contacted by a loved one after they have passed? Um, this could be in a number of different ways. Um, sometimes our loved ones, you know, contact us through dreams. Sometimes they would contact us through visions. Or sometimes um, they would contact us when we heard their voice, and we could swear it was them standing right beside us. Or what if we smelled their perfume or cologne, and nobody else was around us, and we immediately knew they were close by? And then there's also technology. You know, sometimes loved ones would you know contact us through a phone, or or so forth. And so these are the moments which don't occur every day, but they are still, nonetheless, uh, very impactful in our lives. So I wanted to begin this broadcast just by sharing with you about how I became involved with after-death communication. And earlier in my career as a mental health practitioner and a pastoral professional, I became involved with bereavement counseling. I mean, that's where I started. And uh, in the mental health counseling, I, I actually began with the HIV-AIDS community and um, just counseled you know, just a whole host of folks struggling not only with bereavement, but they also were HIV positive and they were grieving multiple deaths. And just how do I live my life with this disease and how do I be in relationships with others and, and so on and so forth. And so helping people through their loss and grief issues really seemed to come naturally to me because, you know, I, I grew up experiencing many losses in my life. In fact, today, um, I have to admit that when I'm either attending a funeral or officiating at one, this is really where I feel most at home. Now, I know that might sound bizarre, you know, but right now you're listening to a guy who, when he was a kid, used to run around graveyards on Halloween with his friends. You know, when, whenever Linus and Sally were out looking for the Great Pumpkin and Charlie Brown and so forth, I was playing tag with my friends in a local cemetery. And in fact, the best times when we were playing tag was when there was a full moon on Halloween. And that really lit up the cemetery so you didn't trip and fall and, you know, you know, bash your head open on, on a tombstone or, or you know, a, a placard or something. Um, and as it gets closer to Halloween, I'm going to have to share that. But, and that's definitely for another show. But um, 
it seemed like I became well acquainted with with death and loss and bereavement. It really wasn't something that was like off limits to me, but this was something that I imagine with most people was a mystery. What is this all about? Is there something more? Uh, what happens to us when we die, and so forth? You know, just very innocent but legitimate questions. And so, as I said, working with others um, and just helping them understand their loss um, is is actually how I got involved with after death communication and actually near death experiences as well. As well. Now, anyway. Um, all I'm saying is that death and dying it was, is nothing new to me. And yet, what was new to me at the time, way back when, was the way people shared their stories of their loved ones showing up. You know, not so much about the details of their loved ones coming to them in dreams or visions, but rather, I noticed how these appearances, shall we say, made them feel. You know, and as as they talked, I always would sense a wave of peace, a sense of an assurance that came over them like they never had before. And they had some pretty incredible stories. We we still have pretty incredible stories, you know, to this day about people sharing after-death communication experiences. But, you know, it's not just that people report like, oh, yeah, one night I was just minding my own business and there my grandmother was. Or there my father was, or there my mother was, or something like that. You know, these these stories are always told in a very peaceful manner, not matter-of-factly, but in a way in which they knew their loved one was all right and safe and whole. And like I mentioned, I had been involved with bereavement counseling early in my mental health work. And as people had shared their stories of loss and grief, they also shared at times how loved ones had shown up in their dreams or a vision that they had of their loved one. And they would often say things like, well, okay, now I want to share something with you that I don't know if it's real or what, but you tell me later. And they would say, well, yeah, my grandmother showed up the other night in my dreams and told me that I was going to be okay. Or there were times when they would say, I was out walking last week, and I smelled my mother's perfume, and I could swear she was walking right beside me. Or there's even times when, um, you know, people would be minding their own business, and they would just have a very brief, the quickest of quick, um, just a vision of their loved one, and then it, they were gone. But they knew who they were looking at, and, and this overwhelming sense of peace that they had. And even now and then, I have to admit, I, I get a sense that my, my own father-in-law is showing up in our kitchen, in a kitchen and dining room area, which, uh, when I think about it, this was the place that he enjoyed hanging out with his family. Okay, I uh, I don't get a vision. I I don't get the dreams, uh, but every now and then I just sense his presence. Now I have to say from the outset that I don't know how after death communications work. 
I mean, I don't know if our loved ones go up and tap God on the shoulder and say, uh, God, uh, is it okay that I, I just pop down for a little bit? You know, just just five minutes. I, I promise. I promise. Just five minutes. I promise I will be right back. I won't be long, okay? All right. Good. Thanks. I don't know how that works. I just know that people from all walks of life, different cultures, different languages, different experiences have these after-death communication experiences. But at any rate, whenever a loved one passes, I believe there's, there's really a natural urge in us to, to want to stay connected to them. And it was something that was interesting that I discovered in earlier uh, bereavement studies, um, that the advice was, back then, was for us to get over our losses as quickly as possible. You know, get rid of or donate our loved one's possessions or clothing, move on with your life, and start connecting with other people. A lot of people took that advice, and it caused them problems later. And my problem with that advice is this, that it really didn't help people grieve. It only taught us how to stuff our, down our feelings and our relationships, and we just stuffed them down, which only made matters worse when it came to working through our grief, because it totally ignored the fact that we will always be connected to our loved ones. And it's true. We will always be connected with them as we're reminded of, let's say, their birthdays or weddings or funerals or holidays or vacations or any other time that we're just minding our own business and they come to mind. And again, I believe these times are very normal, very healthy for us, even if the memories we have are not so great or very painful. And whenever this occurs, it should remind us that grief is a process. Saying goodbye is a process, and it's going to take time. But, you know, one of the first things that needs to be cleared up for many people who don't quite understand, you know, after-death communication, or even, you know, they're not quite sure about it, or they even flat-out fear it, is beginning with what after-death communication is not. Okay? So, after-death communication is not us trying to make contact with our loved ones or going to the place of their death and uh, calling out, hello, hello, are you there? And after-death communication is also not about us breaking out a Ouija board and contacting our loved ones to get a message about the next big purchase or asking them, you know, asking them for help and making a decision about whether or not it's the right time for us to get married. And, an after-death communication is not about attending a seance or to make contact with the other side to see if heaven is for real. But instead, what after-death communication is, is that our loved ones reach out to us. As I said, I don't know how it works, but it does. You know, and these after-death communications, you know, they are universal. In that, you know, they occur for anybody, regardless of differences in culture or language. They're also spontaneous in that they are random and they can occur anytime, whether we are awake or asleep. 
You know, but most of the time, after-death communication occurs when we are simply, like I said, minding our own business. And I also discovered that after-death communications are multiple because most of the time people receive more than one, such as they, you know, their loved ones, you know, contact them through a dream and a vision or a dream and they would hear the voice of a loved one and so forth. Okay, And this was something that I really started to discover in my own research with after-death communication and just listening to people talk about their experiences. And the more I uh, heard these stories, the more I just became convinced that there is something here. These experiences are occurring for a reason. So what kind of effect do they have on us? And so on and so forth. And um, a while back, I mean, uh, years and years ago, I presented a paper on this about the universal, multiple, and spontaneous characteristics of after-death communication at the uh, International Near-Death Experience Conference down in Virginia Beach. And I spoke about how people experience loved ones who would show up in dreams. And, um, you know, we all dream of our loved ones, but when a loved one shows up in our dreams, this is different. This is real. We know it. We might wake up and we just feel as though it just was unlike anything that we've ever experienced before. And people also had visions. Visions that would only last for a few seconds and then their loved one was gone. But again, people would swear that they recognized who was there. And then they would hear their loved ones calling their name, or maybe some would sense their loved one's presence, even through, let's say, non-indigenous animals that show up at random. Okay, that is, you know, where an animal typically doesn't live, or, or an animal that was a favorite of your loved one. And um, I'll share this with you. My uh, my wife's um, godmother, she loved cardinals, and... Uh, you know, that was just her bird. And, uh, you know, the brighter, the better, the redder, the better, you know, cardinals. And, uh, you know, cardinals we see uh, not just in the summertime, but we mainly see them during the wintertime, you know, because they can they can hang with the uh, cold temperature, so to speak. And uh, a lot of people love to feed cardinals and other birds that hang around during the winter. Well, after my wife's godmother had passed, we started to see a lot of cardinals and, you know, more than just usual, more than just one or two. I mean, they just started to show up everywhere. And um, my wife would always just smile when she would see, you know, all these cardinals. And um, she would always be reminded of her godmother. And uh, she just kind of waved at them and, you know, just, Ruth, I see. I see the cardinals. Thank you. You know, just to thank her godmother for still looking in on her and, you know, worried about her and, you know, wanting to take care of her or whatever she was thinking at the time. Um, but that's also very, very common. And um, some other people that I had, uh, you know, just the honor of listening to, they would share stories of other animals like wolves or foxes that would show up or, um, you know, a favorite flower that would just start to bloom out of the middle of nowhere. That was just a favorite flower of the loved one. Uh, 
And that's something that I had experienced. Um, you know, just we had lived in one place and we didn't plant this flower, but it just started to bloom all of a sudden after her death. And that was the tiger lily. A very beautiful flower. It's orange and it has like black speckles and, and everything, but a tiger lily. And not just one tiger lily, but multiple tiger lilies. And so that would always remind me of my mother. And so whenever uh, I would see tiger lilies, even to this day, I'm, I'm reminded of her and the lessons I learned from her and the, the relationship that we had and the different ways in which she modeled her faith for me and how she struggled with her faith and how she overcame and, and just so on and so on and so on. So it's just very special to me. So animals, yes, you know, and, and certain plants would just start to bloom. Um, other people shared with me that uh, sometimes a peacock or a deer or a snake or a cougar would uh, would show up. And uh, again, they would just, they would see the animal like the peacock and just, okay, I immediately thinking of my loved one. And again, it's not just, oh, isn't that nice? But it's a very powerful thought. You know, and it's just immediately that loved one's presence is there. And then there are some people who would hear their loved one's voice through a phone. Or when their phone would ring once, they'd pick up and nobody was there. And it would just happen, let's say, at the same time every day or at the same hour in which they had passed. Okay, And then... You know, the person would just like, oh, okay, now I get a sense of, of who was calling me, so to speak. And again, as I said earlier, some people would you'd sense a loved one's presence through smelling their cologne or perfume. In fact, this is how I uh, sensed my own father's, you know, uh, presence, uh, checking in for me from time to time. Because uh, back in the day, perhaps you men out there remember uh, high karate cologne. It was discontinued, I think, way, 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 way back in 1987. And my dad died in 1986. And, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the high karate clone had this really cheesy advertisement where, you know, it showed a man splashing it on. And then he would have to fight off all the ladies with karate chops and everything else. Like I said, it was very, very cheesy. But it was funny. And every now and then... I smell high karate cologne when I'm out and about and nobody else is around. And a smile always comes to my face. And I just, thanks, Dad. Thanks for checking in. Just reminded of that. And it's very comforting. And all in all, you know, people do receive more than one after-death communication. You know, in fact, the people I talk to often, you know, they experience as many as two, three, or even four throughout their lives. And as I listen to people share their stories about a loved one, I really became interested in how these experiences affected the person in terms of working through their loss and grief. You know, did these encounters help them? really make sense of their loss were you know behind these experiences were there a, a larger purpose to them did these experiences help people of faith did these experiences help people without faith was this the evidence that needed to prove that there's a heaven or 
perhaps these after-death communication experiences, perhaps this was a way for the loved one to have closure, that they need it. Or did the person experiencing the after-death communication need that extra assurance that their loved one was okay and healed, or they were forgiven and whole? And if this is the case, then why doesn't everybody who experiences the loss of a loved one receive these at one time or another? Because after all, regardless of when a loved one dies, no one is really fully ready to say goodbye. I mean, even if one of our loved ones is struggling with a slow, progressive illness, and we see their impending death, we're not going to be ready. The finality of witnessing them taking their last breath uh, brings their death right to the forefront of our hearts and our minds. And in those incidences, we like to think that we've had a chance to say everything we ever wanted to say to that person and vice versa. But how often do we, at some point later, struggle with some aspect of our relationship with them? But this is normal. Remember, grief is a process. This is normal not just to think, oh my gosh, I thought I already had dealt with this. No. Whenever we have these feelings of, oh, there's still more work to do, that's not necessarily a bad thing because it just helps us come to terms with their passing and how do we go on living our lives without that person. And, um, you know, there are also times when the death of a loved one comes without warning, you know, when we don't have time to say goodbye, and we feel as though we don't have any closure with them. And in this sense, a loved one reaching out to us through after-death communication, that can be the means by which we find forgiveness, or we find peace, and we find assurance that everything will be okay. You see, I've learned that after-death communication can be experienced at any time because it doesn't depend on us, but rather it depends on what is needed at the time. Well, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'd really love to hear your heart on this matter. So if you've ever had an after-death communication experience and you would like to call in, I would love to hear your story. So after the break, I'll be taking those calls. And the number, if you would like to call in, is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. Be back with you in one minute.
Okay, welcome back. I am Dr. James Hauke, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I just want to share a quick word with you about next week's show. That's next Friday. Uh, I believe it is August the... When am I? Where am I? Where am I? Is it August the 5th? I think it is. Um, anyway, it's the first Friday of August, and uh, the show runs at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time. And I'm going to be talking more about after-death communication. Uh, this is certainly a subject which has garnered a lot of interest and curiosity in a lot of people, and I'll be sharing some more resources then if people want to uh, follow up with their own reading and so forth. In fact, you can just Google after-death communication. Communication, and uh, you'll find a lot of information out there on after-death communication. And even if uh, you want to record your experiences, there is an after-death communication research foundation website, and I think it's just ADCRF. I believe it's .org. So that's the after-death communication research foundation website, and you can go on there. And it's like it's just a whole host of research that has been done, uh, publications, and there's even um, avenues which you can record or type in or upload your own story to be added to the archives, or you're completely free to listen and um, read other people's after-death communication and how it benefited them and so forth. So, uh, as I said, I'll be uh, you know talking more about after-death communication, kind of like a part two uh, next Friday. And uh, that particular show, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the psychological, emotional, and spiritual benefits of after-death communication. Okay, because again, I'm convinced that it's it's one thing to talk about these issues, but if we don't ever ask the question, okay, we've had these experiences, how does this make my life better? How does this enhance my faith? How does this give peace of mind? How does this keep me uh, emotionally uh, neutral? Okay, and and so forth, where I'm not pulled in many, many different directions. It does have really positive outcomes in our lives, and it's also very healthy to talk about it. Because I said at the beginning of the show, um, cultures from all over the world share these experiences. And there's many, um, many cultures that are just, yeah. This is this is what we do. This is what happens. It's really not the uh, you know phenomena that's that's taking over people as it would like say here in the United States. You know where not a lot of people are talking about this, but um, a lot of uh, you know survivors and mainly like the Eastern nations, uh, uh, Near East and the Far East nations. And the Middle East um, are quite familiar with staying connected with their loved ones, and you know their their beliefs are simply grounded in the fact that their loved ones will always be with them. You know, it's just very this very strong connectedness uh, to their faith and being part of the community of faith as well. Okay, so tune in next week for the psychological, emotional, and spiritual benefits of after death communication. Okay. So, um, at the uh, before the break, I was uh, talking about you know just what is not after death communication and what is after death communication, and without going through what it is not again, uh, I'd rather focus on exactly what is after death 
communication. And uh, pretty much it is, uh, you know, our, our loved ones reach out to us. And, uh, you know, these times are, you know, universal, spontaneous, and, and multiple. You know, universal in that uh, they can occur, you know, for anyone children, teenagers, adults of all ages, and so forth, regardless of differences in culture or language. Okay? And these after-death communication experiences are also spontaneous in that you know, they're random, they can occur anytime, whether we are awake, whether we're asleep. And most of the time, after-death communication occurs when we are just simply minding our own business. In other words, we're not paying attention, and all of a sudden, oof, there it is. And I've also discovered, you know, just in my own life and in talking with, with hundreds and hundreds of people regarding this, these experiences, that after-death communication, you know, there's certainly multiple. Because most of the time, people receive more than one. You know, and it could be different combinations later on that it could, you know, start off with a dream or dreams, or then they would get a vision, or they would have a dream, or they hear the voice of their loved one, or whatever it might be. So it's often in combination at uh, spaced out parts of the, a person's life. Okay. And, um, you know, whenever a loved one dies, there is just a natural part of ourselves just want to stay connected with them. That we want to be connected to our loved ones. And um, I also shared that in earlier bereavement studies, um, there was this, oof, probably for the longest time, this advice uh, for us to hurry up and get over the loss of a loved one quickly as possible. And what you need to do is go through their things and donate them or get rid of their clothing, get rid of their possessions, move on with your life and clean slate and just keep going. And that really backfired because um, a lot of people who were quick to try to hurry up and get over the death of a loved one uh, actually ran into problems later. And not just physically with ulcers and so forth, but you know, psychologically, emotionally, even spiritually. And it really didn't help people grieve. It, it just rushed a process that cannot be rushed. You know, in fact, a lot of people just, you know, uh, in getting rid of possessions of loved ones and so forth and just hurry up and like as if it never happened, you know, it just taught people to stuff those feelings that they had and, and those relationships down, which only made matters worse because when it came to working through their grief, you know, it totally ignored the fact that we're always going to be connected to our loved ones. And um, there is a wonderful book out there. It was researched by Dennis Klass, K-L-A-S-S. -S. And uh, he wrote the book, Continuing the Bonds. And he really challenged this notion of, well, when a loved one dies, just hurry up and get through it. Get rid of all the possessions, and then that's it. And um, like I said, this book just challenged that. And he starts off by just saying, we're always connected to our loved ones. And it's very healthy to hang on to a knickknack or something special, a, a piece of furniture or something that was unique that belonged to the loved one as a way of maintaining the contact or continuing the bonds with the person. So it could be a piece of jewelry. It could be a watch. It could be um, you know, special fishing tackle. It could be a sewing machine. It could be anything that when we look at the object or we hold the object, it reminds us of our loved ones. 
and the relationship that we had with them. And again, the lessons that they taught us, maybe not so much by what they said, but really how they lived their life. And that's a key, you know, part to our, our you know, coming to terms with uh, resolving our losses is just maybe not so much remembering how our loved ones died, but rather, how did they live? How did they struggle? Where did they triumph? Where did they smile? What jokes they told? How they were with us? Were there times in which they were very gentle and we saw a side to them that they didn't show everybody else? Or were there times when they really lost their temper and become angry? And we may not be able to remember everything. In fact, our memories um, might be a combination of pleasant and not so pleasant. There might be some memories that are, are quite painful. And then there could be memories in which are just very touching, very near and dear to our hearts. So this is, you know, in that book, Continuing the Bonds, Dennis Class just wants us to, we can stay connected to our loved ones through inanimate objects, because after all, we are connected with them. And this audience has heard me share this story before, that whenever I cut my finger and, and my teacher wanted me to look at the, the blood trickling down my finger and, and really taught me about uh, the generations that came before me. And, you know, because they're all there in a single drop of blood, as well as understanding that within that same drop of blood, there will be many, 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 many who come after me. And so we have that blood-soul connection with our loved ones. But uh, again, Dennis Class was one that's like, it's okay to, you know, not to get rid of everything, but hang on to those special things. Okay. Well, many years ago, I uh, met Ken Doka, Dr. Ken Doka, and uh, he actually done research in the he did research in the area of hospice, and uh, just very extensive uh, to say. And as we sat in his office at the College of New Rochelle in the Bronx, we talked about the importance of rebuilding our faith and philosophical assumptions that have been challenged or shattered by a loss of a loved one and our grief. And, you know, what What really impressed me about this conversation this afternoon I spent with him was how he explained how most of us live our lives according to our assumptions and how our grief causes us to re-examine our core beliefs about how life ought to operate. And after-death communication really causes us to rethink a lot about the finality of death. Because whenever we experience the pain of losing a loved one to death, or you know our unchallenged assumptions about life, or the fairness in the world, even the goodness of God, often muddies the waters in the process of mourning. And unconsciously, we may wonder, why are we not allowed to live happily ever after with our spouses or question what is it that we've done that God is punishing us? And yet the truth is that death and dying, they're certainly parts of life and living. And hopefully the awareness of our mortality and and ultimately who we are awakens us to become better, not bitter persons of faith.
hopefully realizing that, yeah, one day our our hearts are going to stop, the brain waves are going to cease, and things like that. Knowing that about ourselves and our loved ones, how then should we be living our lives today? Should we wake up just thinking, eh, I have more time, I'll take care of that years from now, I'm in good health, what could go wrong? Or maybe we could just ask that question, if I died today, you know, how would I want to spend my last hours? Or really knowing if a loved one is going to die today, what would I want that, what to say to them? Or how would I want them to be remembered? And so forth. You know, it really kind of puts into perspective just when, you know, we realize our limitations that should wake us up to wanting to invest in more of a quality of life, to take the time to forgive, to forgive what's been done to us, or to ask forgiveness for what we have done to another, and to really express our gratitude for that loved one being in our life, or even the small ways in which a spouse or a partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, um, does things that really touch us. Just to point that out, overstating the obvious, and just, you know, whenever you said that, or whenever you did this and such, that, that really touched me. And I just I just got to say thank you. That was very special. You may not have been aware of it, but I'm glad I was able to see it and so forth. And so, you know, and certainly taking the time out to say how much we love our loved ones. You know, in other words, take nothing for granted, you know, but cherish every moment we have in this life to cherish every hug, every kiss. Every time we get to hold their hand, they get to hold ours, and so on and so forth. Um, and and really cherish the loved ones in our lives, okay? Because we are connected to them. We will always be connected to them. Okay? And um, and although you know we have been accustomed to just the routines in which we define our daily existence. We're never going to see ourselves or others or the world the same as we once did, because when a loved one dies, we're pulled into a task of trying to make sense out of new circumstances in light of the way things used to be. But you know, if if you think about it, once we are able to comprehend that death is real and that someday we too shall die, despite how difficult that may be for us, our whole worldview changes. It changes from a naive innocence of life and pleasure and being cared for to a realization that we must confront our own sickness, aging, and death. And that doesn't mean that we now have to give up that innocence of life where we have to give up pleasures or we have to give up, you know, whatever makes us happy or something. It's, it's not a morbid understanding. It's a realization of just how fragile yet precious life is. Well, you know, one of my favorite books, again, that I shared with this audience, is uh, the ancient uh, story uh, of a spiritual journey of an Indian man called Siddhartha, who lived during the time of the Buddha. And within Buddhism, there's this belief that, you know, nothing is ever fixed and permanent in this life. Everything and everyone is subject to change, or as the Buddha taught, it's this continuous becoming. And we often refer to this as impermanence. 
And if you have ever sat beside a river or a creek and watched its flow, you get the idea. Yeah, because you watch, you know, the water runs from one point to another around rocks and maybe fallen branches or finding the path of least resistance. And at the same time, the river is not one continuous unified flow. The river of this moment is not going to be the same as the river of the next moment. And this is actually where, you know, the saying from the ancient philosopher Heraclitus says, you cannot step into the same river twice, for other waters are ever flowing onto you. In the same philosophy, you know, we can certainly apply this to our lives. None of us remain the same throughout our years. We may think that we're not changing, but you know we are. And the various stages of our lives from childhood to adulthood to old age are not the same in any given time. And the child is not the same when he or she grows up and becomes a young adult or when he or she grows elderly. And while it's true that we live from moment to moment, we tend to forget that each moment leads to the next. And so, therefore, impermanence and change are just undeniable truths of our existence. And you know, another aspect of after-death communication that helps us is with disenfranchised grief. Uh, it's something I call the double, bl- the double bind. And while most people who mourn the loss of a loved one are free to experience normal grief reactions, whatever normal is, uh, others whose loved ones, you know, carry a social stigma they're not necessarily given the right or the role or the capacity to grieve as others may. And, you know, add to this, you know, these mourners are are given either little or no social or religious support to help facilitate their grief. And again, this was something that Ken Doka pointed out to me that afternoon, you know, and he just says, look, when it comes to disenfranchised grief, it's, it, it really comes from the reaction of society that arises from one or more of the following factors that you know society you know doesn't recognize the relationship to the deceased you know whether you were divorced or perhaps it was a partner that you had loved and, and had lived with or so forth or whatever it might be and they said you know the second factor is that the loss isn't recognized or maybe viewed by society as significant such as the loss of a pet or perinatal death. And the third, the survivor is perceived by society as not having the capacity to mourn, such as children or the elderly. Well, we don't want to take them to the funeral because we don't think it's appropriate. I don't think they would understand. You want to know how many children, or I should say adults, who have shared with me that as children... They were kept away from funerals, but they knew exactly what was going on. But it came down to more the fact that the adults in their lives, their parents and so forth, were afraid that the children would ask some questions that they didn't know the answers to. Okay? Or the elderly. I was like, well, she probably wouldn't realize where she is anyway. Or, you know, there's nothing they can do about it. You know, it's just, you know, why, why burden them? But yet it's, it's very presumptuous on many people's, you know, just to think that they know what's best for, 
you know, their children without asking them or going through and explaining or even get people who could explain it to the, the children or, you know, just take into consideration, you know, the elderly that they too need to grieve. And there's also certain types of death, you know, suicide and AIDS related still, which may be too embarrassing or produce the heightened anxiety in members of society. And again, a surviving loved one is just not given that capacity to mourn openly, let's say from somebody who's mourning the death of a loved one through cancer and so forth. Okay. So again, um, after death communication stories are worth sharing because of the emotional, psychological, and spiritual freedom it produces in people. In fact, you know, you should. Uh, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime, just go down through, scroll, or or again, Google, you know, we have several movies that have been uh, produced, um, you know, actually giving people permission to share their experiences openly with others. I mean, we have some great movies out there that just openly talk about death and dying, or they may not name after-death communication, but those themes show up in movies. And just, here's a few. The Field of Dreams, The Ghost and Mrs. Murr, Five People You Meet in Heaven, The Ever-Popular A Christmas Carol, The Sixth Sense, Ghost, The Lovely Bones, Dragonfly, and perhaps a Christmas favorite, It's a Wonderful Life. Even though they're not saying, oh, this is after-death communication, this theme is seen in these movies. So again, if you've had a uh, after-death communication experience, share that with somebody who is willing to listen. And when a loved one shows up, uh, either through you sense their presence through a cologne or perfume, or if you receive a vision, or if they show up quite vividly in your dreams or however they might be manifested. Just make note of how you feel. Just make note of what was your relationship with them. And are these experiences, you know, what can you take away? How does it enhance your grief and, and working through that whole process of still being connected with your loved one? and so forth. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you've been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Thanks for spending this hour with me. I invite you to tune in next Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time. We're going to continue this conversation on after-death communication, and we're going to certainly look at the psychological, the emotional, and spiritual benefits of after-death communication. But until this time, everybody be safe, behave yourselves, And uh, we'll talk again next week. Take care. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.